Good morning. Good to see everybody. Hey, could we do uh, me a favor and give our worship team like a big uh, uh, applause? I was going to call it a, a hand clap high five because I just want to high five you guys. You know, I'm so blessed every week by um, the song choice. You know, Caitlin couldn't be more right. It, it, it takes a village. You know what I'm saying? It takes a, that's fellowship means it takes everybody to bring what they have and then give 100% of that for the church to be what it is. So I'm so thankful, and I, I get so blessed and encouraged by watching people um, give their all to something. And uh, so thank you, worship team, for all the stuff you guys do, guys and gals do behind the scenes that we could come and you would just lead us to that place. Because I don't know about you, but I was just like ministered to this morning singing those truths like over myself and over my year, and um, so thankful for you all. And um, Ozias, did you get a new bass or something? <laughs> There's like, oh, I feel like dancing, but something about a bass. <laughs> he was getting after it. All right. Happy New Year. I want to start a mini-series, I guess, today. You know, I've been so uh, focused on the next thing that's in front of me. Sometimes it's hard to look months down the road or a year down the road. And, you know, in the church world, there's a lot going around Christmas. And some of our meetings start to sound like this. Let's wait till after Christmas. Let's get through Christmas and then we'll look at that. Well, we got through Christmas, and the Lord was really speaking to me um, some of these rhythms that we were talking about in Ecclesiastes. Just really been on my heart for months and months and months. And then last week, uh, we preached a message called Potentially Great. We were looking at potential and what it is. It's something that exists, but it doesn't do anything on its own. Potential, something you see, something that could be, but you got to do something with it. You have to step into potential. Uh, you have to use something, if you see potential in it, to get out of it. And um, so what we want to do today is, is, as we were looking we, about the manna in the desert last week, God wants to do something in this year, in this next season. He wants you to know that he's with you every day. He wants to feed you in a way that only he can feed you every day. And then he wants you to partner with him. There's, there's something he wants you to step into and do. you got to go out and gather each day. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at some rhythms that Jesus had. Because what better example for us if we want to grow in our faith and, and take some new ground in 2023 than to look at Jesus. So I've titled this morning... Uh, Jesus Rhythms is what we're going to call the next few weeks, but it, here it is. Begin with a goal. We want to begin with a goal. I showed you guys that video uh, last week of the, the old guy on the Pacific Crest Trail. Uh, it was awesome. I was almost going to show you another one, but I'm like, oh, you're not going to be the pastor that shows YouTube videos every week. Um, but there's another one that I've saved. I got a lot of saved videos on my Instagram feed and on my YouTube video. And this one is by a football coach. Uh, 
ex-player, now a coach, Deion Sanders' his name. Prime, Coach Prime. Coach Prime has this video that I saved on my, on my Instagram, and, it, and he says this. He says, the problem with athletes today is they practice to practice. They practice to practice. Then he goes all third person. He goes, what do you mean by that, Prime? Well, I'm glad you asked, he says. <laughs> and he says, the problem is when you practice to practice, there's no purpose in your practice. All you're trying to do is get through practice. What time is practice over? What time is dinner? Whoever's beeping, feel free to. Uh, there's no purpose in your practice. And he was like, and that's the problem. You just do something to do it. And so there is no purpose in it except for getting through it. And he was like, every time I stepped onto the field, my purpose was clear. He said, I want to be the greatest of all time. It's a very Dion, very coach primetime thing to say. Michael Jordan would have said something similar. The greats wanted to be great. He said, so then I knew there was purpose in everything I did. He goes, you guys don't practice to be dominant. You don't practice to win. You're just practicing to practice. When we look into our new year, I think oftentimes it's an unspoken mindset of New Year's resolutions and goals. We'll say something like, I really want to read my Bible more this year. That's a good practice. But why? I really want to eat better this year. Okay, awesome. But why? I really want to fill in the blank for this year. But what we're going to look at at Jesus is before we get into his rhythms, he had a very clear goal. There was a purpose to his rhythms. One of my favorite podcasts is a, a leadership podcast that I listen to. And this, uh, this pastor, um, he says this. He says, oftentimes we start with the what, but it's always a mistake. We need to start with the who. You have goals? Who do you want to become, not what do you want to accomplish? We start with the who, not the what. Because then there's a clear goal, and then we can come up with the rhythms or the process to achieve the goal. So before we look at what Jesus did, let's look at a goal, the goal he had. And I promise you, he had a very clear goal. You can find it in John. You can find it all over the New Testament. So this, we're going to have, there'll be a bunch of scriptures today. Jot them down as I go through for you note takers. You can talk about them at Life Group this week, and then you can incorporate them into your own reading and and you're going to start picking up some of these patterns through the scripture, all right? So here's the launching pad for this morning. John chapter 6, starting in verse 38. As you're opening up to John 6, let me pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for just that, that time of singing. Lord, I was thinking that if I was visiting this church and I didn't believe what these people believe, and I was a part of that worship set, I think I would have been pretty moved that maybe if I didn't know where I stood, but these people sure did. And I just thank you that we are in a place uh, that I am surrounded in my life and my kids and my family are surrounded by people who know you and love you and uh, want to grow in you in their own lives. What a blessing that is. So, Lord, we're going to open your word now. 
And as we do, we're going to open up our hearts and our homes and our realities. And we ask that you would speak right into where we're at. We love you, Jesus. And we pray everything in your name. Amen. So in John chapter 6, let's look at Jesus' goal. He says this, starting in verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus' sole desire was to do the will of his Father. Now, sometimes, and there is a great mystery to the total deity of Jesus, that he was always God, and the total humanity of Jesus, that he was fully man. But he, but he is. He's 100% God. When Jesus is talking, God is talking. But he's 100% man as well, meaning that he had goals. He set rhythms. He had choice. And his choice that he laid down was not for himself, but to do the will of his father. That's his sole desire, not to do his own will, but the father's will. And you know what? He did it. He completed it perfectly. That's why he says in a couple chapters later in John, in, in eight, start chapter 8, verse 28, So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. We're going to spend weeks being like, what are the things that Jesus always did? But before we talk about those things, you need to know that his goal was that he would do the will of the Father. So when you hear the word will, we could say stuff like, that's a strong-willed person or uh, for, our, for our child. But the will is the, the center of the person. It's the culmination of your thoughts, what you think, your feelings, how things make you feel, and your desires, what you want. And that shapes our will, your goal. What do you want to be? What do you want to have? What is important to you? The word will in the Bible is used a few times, but you know what word is used a lot more than that is the word heart. When you're speaking of will, in the scripture, the word you'll see more often is the word heart, okay? We'll hear things like this. The, um, the heart is deceitful. It is wicked above all things. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. Uh, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. We hear uh, a merry heart is like medicine. Uh, we hear a lustful heart. I tell you, Jesus said, you have heard it said, that if a man uh, cheats on his wife, he commits adultery. But I say to you, Jesus said, 
that if a man looks into a woman with lust, he has committed lust in his heart. That is the, the will, your desire, your purpose, your longing. It's a culmination of all of the things, the heart of a person. Um, a sad heart is like broken bones within you. And then guard your heart. These are, these are goals. This is, this is the will, the central part of a, of a person. So Jesus' goal in his heart, his heart of hearts. If you look up the word heart in the Bible, and then you click on your uh, Bible, uh, ins- um, like your encyclopedia of the Bible, where it breaks down words in their original length. The heart, you're going to read pages and pages. Because the word is cardia, where we get cardiac. So it's a muscle. But your muscle can't be happy or sad. It just beats, hopefully. But then it talks about the heart is, as your mind. The heart is your center of emotions. A word that we use is your, your will, who you are. Jesus' goal was clear. It was to be, uh, was the Father's will in his life and in the world around him. In order for Jesus to accomplish this goal, closeness is required. I always think um, potential requires proximity. We need to be close to the, the thing that we, we want to be or the, the potent, where the potential is. There is a, a, a proximity required. So Jesus wanted to do the will of the Father. He did this through his goal was unity with the Father. Closeness is required. The rhythms that we're going to look at were his training. They were the patterns that helped his heart align to the Father's heart. And Jesus had rhythms. The early church had rhythms. They had patterns, things that were important to them, things that they said, this is who we are. We as the bridge, this church, we have rhythms. Things that mean something to us. They're purposeful. We're going to focus and lean into these things. The goal is all the same, though. The Father's will. The goal is not something we do. According to Jesus, according to the scripture, it's someone we become. So when we're looking at this next year, we always want to put, here's some things we want to do. But Jesus' goal was someone he was going to become, someone he could be closer to the Father. So we want to start first with thinking in this new year, who do I want to be? Because in order to be committed to the process, you have to believe that the end goal of the process is good. I need to eat better this year. It's going to suck every day, but I'm going to do it, I guess, because broccoli is good. Me too. But if I want to be actively involved in my children's lives, that's who I want to be. I, want to be on the, I don't want to be on the sidelines while my kids are... I want to be actively involved in my kids' life. Therefore, I'm going to eat better this year. 
I want to be able to go snowboarding with my sons when I'm in my, you know, 60s. When I'm in my, I see people that are, that are where I want to be in these next seasons of life. And I say, hey, how did you get to this place? And they, they, they didn't say, curls, bro. They said, don't take your foot on the gas. Remember who you want to be. You're, you're remembering who you want to be, therefore, these things. But you have to believe that what you're wanting to be is good. And what Jesus believed about the Father's will. I got three things for us this morning that Jesus believed about the Father's will that allowed him to step into these rhythms that we'll start looking at in the next couple weeks. The first thing Jesus believed about the Father's will, this ultimate goal, was that it was indeed ultimate. The Father's will was ultimate. It was the most authoritative. He lived in a world that had a governmental system and render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but render to God, Jesus would say, the things that are God. God's will was the most important thing in his life. It was at the top of everything, even his own, even from a boy. We'll get into this in one of the rhythms, but you know, we hear about Christmas, baby Jesus in the manger. We hear about when Jesus is around one or two years old, when the wise men show up. You know the next time we hear about Jesus? Bible Trivia 201. This is 201. You get 200 points for this one. When's, how old was Jesus? The, okay, easy. 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 He doesn't even let me finish the question. She's sitting in the front. We hear about Jesus at 12 years old. You know, he's at church. He's at the temple. And it says at the uh, cliff notes of the story, as was their custom, moms and dads, they were uh, at church for a certain time of year, as was their custom. It's their family custom. It's their cultural custom. It was their habit. They were at church as a family. Is it important that your rhythm to be at church with your family? Well, if you want your children to say maybe something sort of like what Jesus says here, I would say yes. But that's a rhythm, and we'll get there in a couple weeks. As a boy, Jesus said this, Luke chapter 2, verse 49. He says this, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Here's a little backstory. They had gone down to Jerusalem for the festival, uh, Passover. After they were there, they were going home. No minivans. You had caravans. I just made that up. It was really good. As a lot of people walking. So when your kid's about 12, they're starting to have a little bit of independence, especially if you're uh, an outside family, like you do stuff outside. Your kids, they might, they're, where's your son? They're in the woods. What are they doing? Starting a fire. Um, or, you know, cutting down a tree or doing something. They're, they're in the woods. And so they get, they get a day or two's journey away, and they were like, where is that boy? I haven't seen him. And they could, where is Jesus? They couldn't find him. Note to self. Don't, you know, they lost Jesus. Uh, so they were like, where is he? So they went back to Jerusalem, looking all around, frantic as a parent is. They come into the church, into the temple, and it says there was this boy asking questions and listening, and people were astonished at this kid. Now, he's fully God, so there's something special about Jesus, but he's also, as a boy, his rhythm is that he is in the temple. 
asking questions, talking. It's like our young guys at our men's breakfast yesterday. I'm listening to these, to these boys sit around the table say some pretty amazing stuff. Good job, moms and dads. And uh, so they were like, Jesus, don't do this to your mother. And his response, out of full respect, he was like, don't you know that I'm about my father's goal? So maybe your, your Bible translation says, about my father's business. This word house, in my father's house, it has this active participation in it about, about the things of my father, about my father's will. Even as a boy, Jesus' number one goal was to be close to the father, to, to do his will. Right before Jesus, so that's his 12 years old, and then you fast forward to the last week, to the last days of Jesus' life on earth, and he says this, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. I don't want to do this. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Everything Jesus did was about the Father's will. In all places in between, from a boy to the end to somewhere right in the middle where he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus' main goal is unmistakable, to be close to the Father, to be one with the Father, to do the Father's will. He was surrendered always to his Father's will because he believed it was best. That brings us to the second thing. Not only did Jesus believe the Father's will was ultimate, he believed it was good. You know, we live in a time where I think a lot of people would say, yeah, I believe in God. But then if you ask them the second question, do you think he's good? They might say, I don't know. I think we forget that God is not just true, but he's so good. Jesus believed that his father's will was not just ultimate, but that it was best. There has been no person who has ever been more connected to God the Father than Jesus. They were so connected, Jesus said, if you've seen the Father, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And his consensus was that the kingdom of God is, was good for him, for his life, for others, his followers, those that were with him, and for the whole world. Because he says later on, go tell everybody that God's way is ultimate, it is good, and then the third one that we'll get to in a minute, it'll be worth it. It's worth it. He knew that it was good, so much so that we have these verses that Jesus said to us. He says this, I am the good shepherd. Not just the shepherd, but I am the, the good shepherd, he would say. I know my own and my own know, know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. See, God's will was not just something that Jesus endured, but something he desired. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for me. Is that following God wouldn't be something that we just endure, we trudge along, but something that actually we desire. It becomes out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the, the central part of who you are, your actions are changed. The rhythms that you set will be because of the goals that you have. 
And this is what Jesus desired more than anything else. Last one. What Jesus believed about his father's will, it was ultimate. It was most important. It was good. And the third one is, it was worth it. Everything he did, everything Jesus did, everything Jesus endured, he knew that one day we would be able to save these verses. Flip in your Bibles if you have it, or flip over, or mark this down. Hebrews chapter 12. See, these are verses that if you've been in church for a while, you've read these and you're like, oh yeah, those are good. But now think about everything Jesus did leading to this so that we would be able to read these. Therefore, because of all of this, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, it's our turn now, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us the things our heart run toward. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here's the goal. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know that Jesus has zero regrets? I find that fascinating for me sometimes because sometimes I've been like, Lord, if you only really knew. There's a story in the scripture where this woman came to the feet of Jesus to worship him in a very churchy setting. And there were religious people around that looked religious, you know. Their goals for the new year was to memorize more scripture and to be holier than other people. Not a good goal, by the way to be holier than another person. Just be holier than you were. How about that? And this woman came to worship Jesus. Just so happens that this woman was a prostitute and people knew it. And Jesus received her worship. She didn't know how to do the church thing. She just knew how to like pour her broken self before Jesus. And the religious people, they were like, if, it says they said in their hearts, if Jesus only knew what type of woman she is, he wouldn't allow this to happen. And you know what Jesus did? He called those fools out. And he said, basically he said, I know, what kind, I know what's in her heart, and I know what's in your heart. And he received that worship to himself. Jesus has no regrets. I feel like that woman sometimes, like, oh, God, if you only knew. You wouldn't be asking me to prepare this message. Like I snapped it, my son yesterday, because he was driving me crazy. That's not a very holy thing to do. And he's, and the Lord would say, I'm not, I'm not asking you because you're good. I'm asking you because, because he's good for my response to him. But I, I feel like that. But Jesus has no regrets when he looks at me. He's reminding me. Man, I know, he'd be like, I know what I was doing. God's will was ultimate for him. It was good for him and for others. And he wants us to be able, and it was worth it, he said. He doesn't look like, ah, 
I endured a lot for you. Wish you could do better. No regrets. It's pretty cool that we could run our whole life as hard as we can through the mud and the muck and the failures and the getting back up and the feeling like we're not going to make it and get all the way to the end and look at Jesus face to face and he and he and to not have any regrets because he has no regrets that's how good the Lord is that's what I want people to experience in this year a newness of Jesus has no regrets the only person who has a regret I don't know if you saw it I saw a tattoo of this kid one time he had a tattoo across his his neck neck tat those are bold he said no regrets he spelt it wrong (laughs) that's really funny because it's the irony there you see Okay, let's, uh, we'll end off this morning. You see what I'm saying now? Take a minute. No regrets. Okay. Here's what someone needs to hear today. Jesus, he wants to take you to some new places. But he will never take you anywhere that he has not been himself. Because some of the things you're going to do this year, if, you do, if you're not to practice to practice, but you want to get, uh, you want to grow, you want to see things, let me tell you one thing about trying to achieve hard goals. Ready? It's hard. Anything that's awesome is not easy. It is hard. Um, I set hard goals and I, I want that, that feeling of accomplishment like that old guy in the video. And so we wake up in the desert. We walk next to those rivers. We figure out how to do this next thing in our life. And we depend upon God's will because it's ultimate and it's good. And he, and he has no regrets. And we won't either when we go through the hard stuff. But Jesus will never take you to a place he's not been himself. So we literally cannot say this. God, you don't know what it's like to be me. Because here's the crazy thing he does. The hardest place you're in, when your life is in the gutter, Jesus knows what it is to be forsaken by all. He knows what it is to endure every temptation that so easily ensnares us because we give in to it. And he never did. Even when there was somehow part of his heart that was being enticed or lured towards something, Jesus, because of his ultimate tie to the Father's will and the goal that he has, that we could look to him, the author and finisher of our faith, he didn't give in. He was so close with the Father. He wants to lead you to some places, but he's not going to stick you out there like he doesn't know what it's like. That's why Jesus said, So, since he won't ever lead us to a place that he hasn't been himself, so then when he says this, if anyone would come after me, he wants you to follow. He says, take my yoke upon you. Remember? Learn from me. So there's an invitation. And then here's the invitation. If anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. See, there's a first habit. The first pattern is emerging just in setting this goal. The desire to be, to do the Father's will. The first rhythm 
that jumps off the page is there's a rhythm of denying yourself. There's a rhythm of laying down what you think to believe what God believes over your belief. That your heart wouldn't get caught up in what you feel, what you've experienced in the past, but that there would be something that believing that God's will is ultimate and good, you would lay down yours to pick up his. Does that make sense? So when Jesus invites you to put on his yoke, he's inviting you not into a new way of living, a new thing, but a new way of being. A new way of not just new rhythms, but a new mindset, a new heart. So when you take up your yoke daily, when you yoke up to Jesus daily, or when you pick up your cross daily, you're saying what Jesus said. You're saying, you're putting on your yoke. You're saying your kingdom is ultimate. Your way, I trust your instruction. You're saying your way is good. I trust your direction. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge God and he will direct your path. You could paraphrase that and say, I believe you, God. I'm going to, I'm going to, trust you because I believe that you're good and you're saying it will all be worth it I am committed to your training the Bible says no one likes discipline but we like what discipline brings no one likes deadlifts maybe there's a few weird people but I'm going to pray for them you come up here after church and we're going to pray for you hey easy children deadlifts when you're 40 are different No one likes pain. But when you're training and there's a purpose in your training, you know that every pain, there's a reason for it. Because there's something coming at the end. It's worth it. I'm committed to the training. I, I deleted two pages of notes off of here about Michael Phelps' training <laughs> regimen. Maybe I'll read it in the next few weeks. It's amazing. But when it's worth it, it's easy to keep the commitment. So I don't know what you've committed to this year or what you want to see. But I know what Jesus wants to see in you. I know what the Lord, he wants you, he wants you to be closer. He doesn't want you to be better. He wants you to be closer. He wants to pull you in close. And as you take a step in, we'll look at these rhythms. In the sense you're saying, Lord, I believe that your way is higher. I believe that your way is not just higher, it's actually better. And I believe, Lord, that it's worth it. We're going to look back a year from now, just like we all do. We look back at the last year and we say stuff like, some ways we're like, yeah, I did good. We started investing with a little bit. Look how much we have in savings this year. Let's keep doing that. Or we look back and say, ugh, I'm in the same place I was for the past six years. And I'll be honest. There's a lot of people there right now. Not just because of this past year, but like I said last week, we've set up rhythms in our lives that are three years old now that started right when kind of COVID hit. And there's a culmination of going, I don't want to keep, I don't like where I'm at. So we're going to look at Jesus's rhythms. But before we do, he had a goal in mind. It was closeness with the Father. That's what the Lord has for you. Let me end with a story. Jesus had this way of teaching in these short little stories. 
We call them parables. But he would say something, and these, these little, to me, they're like these sort of little mic drop stories that people would take with them and think about. So I'm going to give you one. I won't drop the mic, though. It's in John chapter 12, starting in verse 24. Jesus said this, truly, truly. So that is uh, a way in the Jewish language of announcing importance. Uh, when something was, um, when Jesus would do like woes, whoa, whoa, when you do it twice, it's a way of really putting an exclamation point and a focus on something. So this is important. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Okay. So there's a poem. There's a riddle. Something to figure out. There's a seed. Just one seed. Unless it falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So then he says, so whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, did Jesus hate his life? No. What he did, though, is he loved God's will, believed it was so good that he could use the word hate in comparison. I love, because Jesus says, unless you hate your father and mother, and people are like, whoa, Jesus is gnarly. What he's saying is, when you experience the goodness of God, it's so good that what you're saying is like other stuff that is good. It, it like, it's hard to, he uses a drastic word for us to understand what he experienced with unity with the Father. And then he says this, verse 26, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. you'd love to seed this little thing you see potential in a seed all of the seeds all of the potential of the harvest is in the seed but it doesn't do anything on its own it could sit here forever you have to do something with this seed in order for it to become what it could be right and if all a seed ever did was i'm holding a seed this is why i'm walking around like this if all the seed ever did was die when you put it in the ground, where's the last place you'd ever put it? The ground, because you have it. So all if it did was die, it would be like that was pointless. But there has to be this submission of the seed into the earth. There has to be a potential, uh, a doing of a, a different will. That, and when this is put into the ground, it is going to be raised into a harvest. A seed's potential is born when it is planted. A seed's potential becomes alive when it dies into itself. That's what Jesus is saying. This is what he did. This is what he is inviting us into. A seed's potential is born when it is planted. It becomes committed to the process. It becomes transformed somewhere along the way. Jesus has a way of doing that. Water to wine. When did the water turn to wine? Nobody knows, actually. When did the seed die and then give new life? 
We're always trying to figure out these things and put in an exact time. It was in the process of being submitted unto the Lord. That's what, when did your life change? For many people, they say, it was in this season where God was doing this thing and I felt like his will was important and he was good. And so I was, and then, we're gonna, then I started putting these practices. I started reading God's word. I started showing up to church with a regular basis. I started feeling like my heart was being drawn to things that were unhealthy, so I started talking to God. See, the, pro, the, the patterns come in, but the goal is what we start with. If Jesus had a goal for you this year, it would be the same as his goal for himself. John chapter 17, it'd be worth for you going and just looking at it this week. It's a prayer. Jesus, fully God, God the Son, praying to God the Father on our behalf, on behalf of the people of the world. And he says this rad goal. He says, I am no longer in the world, verse 11, but they are in the world. I am coming to you, he said, to Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Jesus' goal for you this year is you would experience a new unity with him. You would experience a closeness of his heart. You would hear his voice for the first time, maybe, for the first time in a long time, or a continual, that's, that's, that's it. Whether you've been a Christian for five minutes or 40 years, it's always step A. Like, I've been a Christian for 40 years. I've been listening to God. Give me something really good, God. And he goes, no, I just, I still want you to, to just be close with me. Because then the rhythms will take care of themselves. So let's pray. Let's sing this last song to the Lord. And uh, yeah, it's good stuff. Father, we thank you for today. Jesus, we thank you for your example. I even admit I was this week I wanted to jump right into the power of going to church because I believe it. The power of prayer. The power of worship. But before we get to that, Lord, I just felt that you wanted us to know that it's not just what you do but why you do it. Jesus, we thank you so much for your example that everything that you did was to bring what you would call the kingdom of heaven to earth. It was to be about the Father's will. So you said, when you pray, don't pray like this, but pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your, your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, Lord, we continue with that, and we say, say, give us this day, like you did with uh, the Israelites in the desert. Would you give us this day our daily bread? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us, Lord. Lead us in good things for our hearts and for our wills, not into temptation. Help us to avoid the paths that have caused that and lead us into goodness because that's where you are and that's who you are.
for yours is the kingdom and the power. You are ultimate, both now and forevermore, Lord. We love you. We sing this song to you in Jesus' name, and everybody said.